Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter with NCEA, and uh, so great to have all of you with us uh, today. We have a great guest, uh, Byron Pitts, who is uh, familiar to many of our listeners, I'm sure. He is co-anchor of Nightline and is a chief national correspondent for ABC News. Uh, He's also uh, the new host of Soul of a Nation, which is a new show on ABC, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, Byron also will be one of our keynote speakers at the NCEA convention, April 6, 7, and 8. So if you have not already registered for that, please do so. Um, You'll be able to hear from Byron and many other uh, wonderful speakers and presenters. So Byron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my friend. It's great to be with you. Um, I wanted to start uh, just a little bit with your your, your upbringing in Baltimore. Um, uh, you had a book that came out in 2009 called Step Out on Nothing. It talked about how faith and family helped me conquer life's challenges. Um, obviously, we're talking to a Catholic school audience, too, and I know you uh, attended Catholic school. So just a, maybe a little bit of background on you and your upbringing and uh, specifically Catholic Catholic education and that's impact on you. Sure. Well, I like to say I had the best of both worlds, raised Baptist, educated Catholic. <laughs> Born and raised uh, in East Baltimore. Um, my mom, Clarice Pitts, she passed away a few years ago, uh, believed deeply in faith and believed equally deeply in education. So uh, as, a, as a small boy, I went to St. Catherine's Elementary School uh, in East Baltimore. Uh, and she put me there in part because I was having some real struggles in public school. Um, I was attending the same public school in Baltimore my older brother and sister had. But what the um, but what the public school didn't pick up um, was that I was I couldn't read. Uh, I was getting social promotions, and so my mother uh, at the time she worked at the London Fog Coat Factory in East Baltimore. Um, herself only had a tenth grade education. Eventually, she would go back to school and get her education and graduate from Morgan State University, historically black college in Baltimore. But at that particular time of my struggle limited education and limited financial means. And so there was no real help available for her to um, to help me. And so in her mind, the, what was most readily available was sending me to Catholic school for a couple of reasons. One, um, for her, it represented a smaller classroom size. B, there's a greater emphasis on discipline. C, she believed that it might be a more nurturing uh, environment where people would seek to meet me where I was with my challenges academically with literacy. I was also a stutterer. And so we, you know, so she transferred me to uh, St. Catharines, which was a wonderful experience. But even more pivotal in my life was when I went to Archbishop Curley High School uh, in East Baltimore, uh, a school started by Franciscan priests. And um, those four years at Curley changed my life. When I got to Curley, I wasn't necessarily, I, I dreamed of going to college, but there was nothing about my background or my academic standing that suggested it would be possible. And I remember my counselor, his name was Father Bartholomew, and I wrote my book, Step Out of Nothing. That Father Bartholomew, for me, is, as a Christian, as a Baptist, um, was the first person I saw on earth who, for me, symbolized what Jesus looked like, who Jesus might have been. He was a sturdy man. Um, a kind face, not a smiler, but a kind face, kind eyes, strong hands. And I remember meeting with him my freshman year, and he says, Byron, uh, where you are right now, you're not going to college in four years. But um, we can get you there. 
Uh, we're going to work at it. We're going to pray at it, and we're going to get you there. And and he kept his word. Uh, made lifelong friends. I'm now 60 years old. Um, three of my closest friends, four of my closest friends, I call them. They're my curly brothers, guys I met when we were all 13 years old. And now we're all 60, approaching retirement, bad hips, balding, terrible golf games. Uh, but, but we are brothers, uh, brothers in Christ, uh, brothers uh, on this earth. That's such a powerful message. And um, and today uh, we still have Catholic schools that are transforming lives. And so what a powerful witness um, the impact it had on your life. Talk a little bit about those struggles. It must have been... Um, obviously incredibly difficult for you to, to be kind of functionally illiterate and, and the stutter. Um, how, how did maybe your education, either in the public school system or even in, in the Catholic schools, help to really uh, challenge yourself to overcome those difficulties? Well, I have to give a greater nod to my experience in Catholic school. Uh, even though St. Catherine's in particular, and even Curley to a lesser degree, lack the resources necessarily to provide what one might consider state-of-the-art um, technology and resources to help a kid in my situation. Um, but, you know, Curly in particular reaffirmed what my mother raised me to believe. That there was nothing that hard work and prayer couldn't overcome. And so I think just being in a space where people were willing and able to show me grace. Um, and, you know, as, as the words, you know, grace is sufficient, right? And, and so... What was what was lacked in fancy fancy technology? I think that they made up for. I mean, there were tutors that were made available for me. And one of the things I have to say that I appreciate a, a greatly about my experience, particularly at Curly, in many ways, at Curly, religion was treated as a history subject as opposed to um, sort of an over, overbearing evangelical kind of presentation. And so it was presented as a academically as a as a as a history historic endeavor, and b just in the in in in, in what it meant to be a curly man. Uh, there was less day to day conversation about what it meant to be Catholic, mm. but there was constant conversation about what it meant to be a good man, um, what it meant to be um, the 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 fundamental values of franciscans what 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 the, the importance of being of service um and so i think that certainly those values reinforced what my mother was teaching me at home um but it allowed it allowed me to navigate the world i mean i was still growing up in a relatively rough and tumble neighborhood and i, I tell people all the time i didn't really grow up in east baltimore i grew up in my mama's house and occasionally she would let me out of her house, and I grew up at Archbishop Crowley High School. And so it was a safe environment. It was a nurturing environment. I played sports. Um, and I remember, you know, you, you'd go to one of our games. You, you, you could tell Curly was on the field because there'd be these Franciscan, these dudes in robes in the sidelines in the stands. In fact, my, my, one of my fondest memories uh, at my church I grew up in, in East Baltimore, New Shiloh Baptist Church, um, a traditional black Baptist church. Every year we would have these concerts and I sang in the youth choir. Not good, but just, you know, they, they needed a guy and there's a robe to fit me. So I was in the I was in the young adult choir. And so one year, probably my sophomore year, second year Curly, I invited uh, one of my teachers to come. Curly's in East Baltimore. New Shiloh's in West Baltimore. Curly at that time is still in a predominantly white neighborhood. New Shiloh was very much in a black neighborhood in West Baltimore. Two very different worlds. 
Anyway, and so I invited one priest. I think I invited Father Bartholomew first. And I'm not sure whether because he felt so good about the experience or for security reasons, he came with two other priests. And I remember when they showed up, um, and, and I, this is well before cell phones, right, and, and email. So I, they said on Friday they were coming, so I assumed Sunday they might still be there, but wasn't sure. And I remember standing standing in the back of the church with my other, you know, our choir was kids like 13 to 23. Uh, and I remember hearing some grumblings as we stood in the back of the church off to the side. And, I, and there's all this commotion in the back of the church. And I said, you know, I asked them, what's, what's going on up there? He says, you know what, man, black people can't do anything in peace. Like, what do you mean? They're like these three white, three white cops out in the back of the church. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I crane my neck, I look around the corner, and there are these three white dudes in black trench coats. And so the assumption was they must be cops. And um, and so, you know, once you know, I, I, I came out and explained who they were, and like, okay, they sat them down. And there was still like a little suspicion about it. Um, and, but I got to say about my senior year, um, at Curly, um, maybe up to a dozen priests would come and it was, and, and, and the members of my congregation, and these were people who, by, for many of them, didn't have much experience interactions with Catholics and even less mm -hmm. in encounters with white people, white men. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being this wonderful, wonderful fellowship and, 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 and certainly people uh, of faith being in the same place and listening to great music. So I remember by my senior year, going to one of our concerts was sort of a hot ticket at Curly. And one of the highlights of members of New Shiloh was to see these white guys in trench coats uh, show up in the winter to, to celebrate. And, and so it was so, so the experience meant everything to me. I, I tell people all the time, you know, when people talk, talk about my, my faith, right? Which I talk about a lot in, in, in all settings. Um, hopefully in an appropriate way. But I, I tell people all the time that, that one of the fortunate things for me in growing up, where I grew up, how I was raised, the school I went to, is that for me, my faith, it wasn't like air. I mean, certainly it was my oxygen, but it was like the furniture. It was the clothes I wore. It was the people I talked to, the car I rode in. And so, um, you know, Curly helped facilitate that. Um, and I think about what made the difference in my life. Because um, I, I certainly believe in, as, as all of us do, in the power of education. But what was so unique for me in, in a faith-based Catholic education was that it spoke to all of me, right? It spoke to my to my academic needs and hopes. It, it, it spoke to my uh, ambition, um, but also it spoke to my heart and to my soul. I, I ran into a I ran into a uh, a curly man. Um, uh, a few years ago, I was back in Baltimore covering the uh, the Freddie Gray aftermath. And there was this disturbance mm -hmm. in West Baltimore that was on the news and people were arrested and vehicles were on fire and a few stores were burned to the ground. Anyway, so I'm there as a journalist. I'm working. And there are a group of teenagers standing out in the street. Right. And I, I just kind of walk past them. And, I, you know, I'm kind of guarded and knowing that it's a tense situation. I need to sort of be careful. Um, because, you know, there's a lot going on. And so one of the kids said, hey, Mr. Pitts, is that you? And I turned around because I, I go back to Curly often to this day. And I said, uh, yes, sir. He said, hey, it's Mike from Curly. How are you? <laughs> I said, I'm great. What are you doing out here? He says, well, you know, a bunch of us decided to come over and see what's going on. And I walked over to him. And I said, hey, you guys need to get out of here and go home. 
Yeah. And they all said, yes, sir. They all turned around, walked away. And I remember feeling it, it gave me a, a warm spot, right? That, 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 that mm. knowing that, that the same values that existed uh, when I was at Curly still are there. That, that young men, um, you know, they're still teenagers, right? And they'll be teenagers. But, but, sure. but they recognize and respect authority. Uh, and even watching their gait as they move, if you observe closely, these just weren't any teenagers in West Baltimore hanging out after school with the clothes that teenagers wear. These were young men uh, who who went to Curly, who were benefiting from from the Catholic education they were getting there. And I, I remember smiling and, and, and pushing my shoulders back a little bit when I saw these young men um, who were attending my school, who, um, you know, who were who were um, who are fine young men. That's great. That's great. I have to say, there's a you, you talk about Curly and, and and you being raised Baptist reminds me. I was I was superintendent in Los Angeles for the Catholic schools there for ten years uh, prior to being in my role now. And we had a senior student at one of our schools who wrote his senior essay, and uh, he was Baptist. And he said his his dad was a Baptist preacher. And in his essay, he wrote that you know he he'd been in a lot of Baptist services, and and his his ambition in his life was to become a Baptist preacher like his dad. But he said his education in the Catholic high school had so shaped and formed him that he'd been in Baptist services that had kind of criticized the Catholic Church. And there'd been tension between the Baptist Church and the Catholic Church. And he said, when I become a Baptist preacher, I'm never going to do that because of my experience at the school. And it just it speaks to what you shared in terms of uh, in terms of those those Franciscans going to your church and, and that that. There's a way to evangelize that's not about conversion, right? There's a way to evangelize and just, uh, so it's a beautiful, beautiful message. I love um, that. What is it with St. Saint Francis who said uh, to his disciples, go out and preach the word of, of God and when necessary, use words? Exactly. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the, your, your latest book, which was t- 2017, and Be the One. And, and one of the things I noticed about uh, you know your original, your, your first book, Step Out on Nothing, which was kind of biographical, um, Be the One is about other uh, young people who've really overcome challenges and difficulties, uh, abuse, bullying, drug addiction. Um, and it seems like this is the theme in both books. One, one book's talking about your own personal struggle to overcome those challenges, and then, and then your other, your next book really is looking outward and saying, look at some of these other incredible examples of people uh, and young people who've overcome these tremendous challenges. So, talk a little bit about that and and that theme that really runs through both books. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a theme that that was embedded in my education. I think all those who are in, involved in education see it. Uh, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and. In, in a lot of settings where I get to spend time with families and with young people, I'm struck by whether these are kids from wealth who go to Ivy League schools or it's a, it's it's an immigrant kid struggling in a community college. <clears throat> um, there's so many young people who are filled with doubt and worry and concern. And, 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 and some of those concerns are things that we recognize as, as challenges for, for people. And so... Um, and that's always struck my spirit, right? That I would imagine one of the challenges for teachers, certainly for mine, I would imagine for educators today, is not only do you have to teach kids, right, the three R's. There, there are so many self-esteem and emotional things and, and that you have to manage as well. Uh, and so I, I wrote this book in part, uh, Be the One, and I wrote it with schools in mind. Hopefully it could be a, 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 an aid for teachers in middle and high school. Um, and also, you know, for the general public, for parents, um, for young people. 
to see that, you know, because all of us, right, no matter our age, we often think our we're the only ones experiencing what we are going through. You know, we often hear that in, in, in the Me Too era when you hear about these terrible cases, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, where these women felt they were the only one who were victimized by this by this monster. And, and what I've learned over the years is that many people in many lanes, and particularly young people, students, feel like they're, they're the only ones experiencing what they're experiencing. So I wrote Be the One to give these examples of young people I've met around the world uh, who had overcome real hardship. And, and the one thing we all had in common is that they all at some point uh, made the choice um, to advocate for themselves. Uh, I, and I was so blessed uh, with my challenges. I had my mother who advocated for me. And soon enough, uh, the, the teachers and priests at Curly advocated for me. The one thing I was just going to, and you can go wherever you'd like with it, but I was really touched by the story you did on Evansville and Benjamin Gaines, who was 98 years old. Uh, and his quote was, hopefully before I die, I will see change. And I thought about the hope that's wrapped up in that. And just uh, in terms of talk a little bit about what you're doing with it as quickly as you can. I know you got to go, but um, but I just thought that was such a powerful uh, message of hope. Uh, and, and when there hasn't been hope a lot uh, within his life. Yeah. I mean, Soul of a Nation is this first of a kind program for ABC News. It's the first time in the history of network television that, that a show that is designed and produced by black people, black members of ABC News, primarily for a black audience. And the hope is if it is by being authentic and intentional um, that we can tell this one particular truth that'll speak to all of our truths. It's almost like, to me, it's almost like, you know, some of my, my dearest friends are Catholic from my experience at Pearl. And it seems to me if I talk to my Catholic friends specifically about their faith and their traditions and, and what matters to them and, and their moral code, it speaks to mine as a Baptist. And so that's kind of how I see the show, that it's, it's meant to be intentional. That, it, you know, Soul of the Nation is sort of the, the factual version of Black Panther, right? It starts <laughs> off to being intentionally black. But by the end of the movie, and hopefully by the end of our, these programs, every Tuesday night at 10 Eastern, <laughs> full plug, um, that what is intentionally black by the end becomes coincidentally black, that everyone will begin to see their humanity uh, and the experiences of, 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 Black Americans, you know, I mean, part, like I, you know, I'm a journalist, right? But I'm an optimistic person by choice, and that optimism is born in many ways out of my experience in Catholic school. That 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 there were men and women who met me where I was, and wasn't necessarily a great place, and they showed me what was possible. Um, and so it's it's that this that the optimism that was embedded in my education, that I believe, is part of the American experience. So. I've been so blessed in my life and my career, and I, I tell people all the time, my success, any measure of success I've had in this in this life, certainly because of a God-fearing mother uh, and her guidance, and what I learned in particular at Archbishop Curley High School. I'm many things. I'm, I'm, I'm unapologetically black, uh, Baptist, left-handed, bad golfer, and I'm so, <laughs> so proud to say I'm a Curley man. I know what that means, and my fellow brothers, they know what that means. That's wonderful. I'll just close with this and uh, and let you go, Byron. But um, when I saw the title of the show, I was I remembered uh, in two thousand eight 
uh, Pope Benedict uh, addressed U.S. Catholic educators and talked about Catholic schools and the importance of Catholic schools and that everything must be done in cooperation with the wider community to ensure that they're accessible to people of all social and economic strata. No child should be denied his or her right to an education and faith, which in turn nurtures the soul of a nation. So I thought about that and, uh, and, and what a great message for Catholic schools and your show. And we wish you all the best uh, with that. And we're grateful uh, for your time today. I, I know it was limited, but um, we're so grateful for your time. And we're looking forward to, uh, to your talk at our convention in April. Might as well. God bless, brother. God bless. Thanks, Byron. This is Kevin Baxter for NCEA. Uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast this week, and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.